welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. Today we're talking with Alexei Gavrilenia from Fleetcore and Keegan Russo from Fleetcore. And I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. I think to start off, could we just get a little bit of a, an intro on who you guys are, where you come from, and then, you know, leading into that, uh, from that, you can sort of explain a little bit who Fleetcore is and who Fuelman is. Thank you, Zach, and uh, thanks a lot for hosting us today. I'm Alexei, and uh, I have my colleague here, Keegan, who are very happy to, to be here on this uh, podcast. So first, what is Fleetcore? Fleetcore is a global payment company with specialist provider of various payment products, including lead cards, i.e. Uh, payment products that uh, businesses are using to pay for fuel and other uh, fleet-related expenses. And uh, we've been around for quite a while. Uh, We operate throughout the world, publicly listed company, part of the S&P 500. So we have quite a sizable presence here in the United States and in Europe. And this European presence gives us a bit of a foresight into what might happen here in the U.S. in terms of EV adoption by businesses. And uh, Keegan, can you say a couple of words about Fuelman? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I lead our North America local fleet business. I've been with Fleetcore for, for two years. Um, I've been working in fintech, mainly in B2B payments uh, for the last eight, really specializing in small businesses. And our North America local fleet business, which ironically for this podcast, it goes to market under the Fuelman brand. To define it simply, our local fleet customers generally have vehicles that start and end their day in the same place. So it could be a depot or their employees' homes, and it differentiates this type of fleet from kind of over-the-road long-haul trucking customers. Our local business has about 45,000 commercial customers. They spend about $600 million a a month, mostly on fuel. Uh, In in our small and medium-sized business alone, about 35% of our, it's about 35% of our volume. We have about 650,000 vehicles on the road. So pretty sizable fleet using the products. Uh, And we're excited to to get a chance to talk to you here as a lot of them are, are asking about what's next as they shift their fleets from internal combustion more and more to EV. Yeah. So before we get into the EV side, I w- I'll just I'll take us on to a si- side road for a moment. So what jumps to mind for me is uh, this movie Reality Bites, which was very popular in the 90s. I would just, it probably comes to mind because my older sister was obsessed with it and watched it like a hundred times. But, you know, sort of funny thing in the movie was she had a fuel card from her dad. She was like, you know, sort of becoming independent from her f- parents, but she was buying everything with a fuel card at a you know, food at a gas station, everything at a gas station, because that's all she had for money. Uh, so can you explain a little bit more? What is this? Uh, when you talk about a fuel card, is what is it covering? What is uh, what is included there? And, and how is it sort of used by businesses 
Yeah. So I think you hit on something there with, was it when, what Winona, Winona Ryder's character had the fuel card there? Yes. Yes. That was Winona Ryder. And yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So I think the primary reason that we've grown so much over the years is, is we provide a level of controls to businesses who, you know, probably don't appreciate as much uh, the the worker who's going and you know using the company card to buy you know dinners for their their roommates. You know they, we have a set of controls that you know can be opened up to non-fuel purchases, but can also be tightened uh, down into you know literally time of day, type of station, type of fuel, and and how much fuel can can be purchased depending on kind of how how tight you want to control the the spend. Cool. Yeah. And so I understand Fleetcore has been, you know, more operational, big presence in Europe as EV adoption has grown there. I, I think anyone listening should be aware, but just in case not, you know, the, the EV adoption curve has, has really jumped in Europe. There's like, you know, 10, 15, 20% of sales being electric vehicles now across Europe. And the U.S. is quite far behind, you know, we're at a few percent maybe 6%, 6.5% was a new record, I think in November. Uh, so we're getting, we're climbing, but we're still not nearly where Europe is. And I know you have extensive experience in Europe. So can you speak a little bit about any lessons learned in Europe that you can then bring over to the US or is it sort of too, are, are the markets too different? Yeah, uh, it, it's a good point. As I heard. Uh, indeed. The adoption in Europe is four to five times bigger in terms of new uh, vehicles sold versus United States in general in Europe. And obviously you have some markets like Nordic countries, Norway, uh, Sweden, Denmark, then you have uh, Netherlands that have pretty amazing double-digit penetration of new EV sales of total legal sales and, um, and i guess just as a quick break then i mean we that's looking at all light duty passenger vehicles is it similar in the fleet world i mean we, we don't really dive into the fleet world is the fleet world climbing the same ramp or is it faster or slower than the overall market yes it's a it's a good call out so fleet uh, adoption in europe is actually way ahead of consumer adoption in europe of uh, light uh, duty commercial vehicles and uh, if obviously because of the lack of equipment in the market, the heavy duty vehicles are still right now more of, a, I would say, a science research project rather than day-to-day reality based on our conversations with our customers. And uh, the medium duty vehicles are somewhere in between, depending really on the use case. But overall, again, the penetration is... On average, based on 2020 data, it's about 12% in Europe versus 2.5% here in the United States. And for example, in our Dutch market in the Netherlands, where we have sizable presence, a quarter of all of our transactions are really electrical charging transactions, which is quite amazing, right? So you really have a very sizable penetration of the... Um, electrical vehicles in the uh, LCV market, light duty vehicle market. And the lessons kind of uh, learned, um, first, we were quite shocked to see that fleets are 
way ahead of consumers in Europe in terms of uh, uh, adoption. It's mostly driven by government regulation and taxes. In some markets, some market, uh, countries, like in Amsterdam, uh, it's a very nice city, but you basically have to have a parking spot before you can buy a car. If you cannot have a park, if you don't have a parking spot, you cannot buy a car. But if you buy an electrical vehicle, at least it used to be that way, you automatically get, get a free parking place. And obviously that was by itself quite a sizable incentive because a parking spot could be easily tens of thousands of euros along the cost of it. So no wonder that the adoption of EV in Amsterdam was super high, especially for new vehicle sales. And if you look at cities like London or Paris, where you, you have to pay uh, congestion charges that, that are quite sizable, each day, if you drive into the city with the ICE vehicle rather than EV vehicle, parking can be free in some areas if you if you drive EV vehicle. So there are a lot of government support in Europe that actually encourages uh, fleet adoption. So first, uh, fleet adoption is quite high versus consumers, which we think might happen here in the United States with the uh, new administration that will, they will definitely will try to drive, especially among the government, municipalities, uh, authorities, where they have more power to mandate the EV adoption. Second, uh, we saw quite a few economical, quite absolutely economical use cases for EVs that uh, beat out the ICE vehicles. And uh, mostly it's the last mile gig economy type of uh, use cases. And you can imagine if there is a route of less than 100 miles where you basically most of the time in an urban cycle where you have to go and stop, go and stop <laughs> every crossing on every light stop. That means that there is a lot of efficiencies you can gain by driving electrical vehicle rather than ICE vehicle on those gig economy, urban, last mile delivery use cases. And so we see a lot of adoption here, for sure. Just based on the pure economics, forget about the government incentives or the desire of companies to go green. And three, interestingly enough, the large corporates I had of the SMB market in terms of EV adoption, mostly because they are driven by their ESG agendas, right? They have uh, some of the big companies, they have adopted carbon neutral targets and they are trying to achieve some of those targets by adopting EV uh, vehicles rather than just regular IC. And uh, so you see a lot of um, enterprise accounts uh, driving adoption way ahead of the regular SMBs. So these are three uh, things that, uh, that we clearly see in Europe, and we, uh, we think there will be something similar happening here in the United States as well. Something a bit different but comparable. I guess one, one thing to sort of clarify, too, before going further, uh, we've written about it a bit, but there's, you know, there's this business lease sort of system that's very popular in Europe where it's it's complicated to 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 just try to do a short intro on it but basically you know a lot of people get their cars through a through their company their company cars and their kind of business lease program there's certain incentives that are a bit complicated in Netherlands UK elsewhere that 
that encourage especially EV adoption of these business lease cars. Are these included within what you call fleets or are you talking about fleets more in the kind of American sense of like, you know, a company buys a bunch of vehicles and they're, they're not like just customer. I mean, they're not just like employee vehicles that do everything, but they're just for business use. It's, it's a good call out, uh, Zach. In Europe, a lot of white collar employees are getting uh, a company car, even if they don't need it for their business use. Uh, and mostly it's driven by... It's a kind taxes. of payment. It's sort of like part of the payment system. Yeah, and I mean, we have this a little bit the- in the US, but not nearly the same. It's true. It's true. It's one of the benefits. And again, most driven by taxes and regulation in Europe, which is different here in the US. And yes, uh, to your question, when I'm talking about fleets, I'm also including these leased vehicles uh, that companies provide to their employees. Cool. So uh, Keegan, anything to add on lessons from Europe and the EV adoption curve there that can be, you know, transferred to US to help increase adoption here and and uh, and also i guess you know increase the use of of your of your your product to to do yeah. that in an efficient way yeah i think what i would take away or, or that the the customer and the business problems remain the same right so you know in whether we're we're in europe or we're in the us i mean you have range anxiety Right, businesses need to make sure that their drivers aren't stranded. Whether your vehicles are you know parked in a company parking lot or depot at night or or at at home charging, there's a couple of different issues there. Right, you need to be able to reimburse your employees if they're charging their their vehicles at home and consuming energy there. If you're charging at a depot, a lot of times, uh, if you're a commercial entity you're charged differently by the, by the utility than a consumer, right? So you need to be very careful about when you're charging so as not to, to trip kind of upcharges with, with your energy company. You know, when you have a fleet, you wanna be able to manage it as efficiently as possible, right? So you need reporting and controls and, um, and companies care also, you know, many of them pretty deeply about their environmental sustainability goals and, and, and their carbon neutral goals. And I think, you know, I look at that and, and through that lens and say, you know, the pace might be a little bit different, but we're still trying to solve the, the same thing uh, for the most case. And, you know, we're, we're building towards a product that hits all of those marks. And so, I mean, your card would basically let them charge wherever more or less i mean yeah i i think that's one of the big differentiators is we actually leverage leverage the mastercard acceptance network so you can charge anywhere and i know there there are some solutions out there that are specific to to certain charging networks you know this one's agnostic which you know i think we're really excited about it um you know it, it also provides the similar level of controls reporting and analytics that our fleets are used to seeing on the ice side, their, their vehicles, we actually have more data on the, the EV side that we can start to use and have them leverage to kind of optimize the operations of their fleet. The, the third piece kind of at-home reimbursement uh, is, is a big one and, uh, and one that, you know, I think we have a really strong kind of MVP way of, of solving that where we can actually differentiate. We're, we're getting the information from the vehicle, right? So we can isolate 
how much charge is coming from that activity versus kind of more personal energy consumption at home and, and facilitate the, the reimbursement, right? Is, is that missing piece? And I think the, the other thing that's worth mentioning is we actually are the only fuel card company out there that has a carbon offset program. So, you know, this has been in the market for, a, you know, a number of years. And actually we, we just hit 5.7 million metric tons of CO2 offset program to date. So we're, we're closing in, I think, you know, in the next month or so, it would be the equivalent of about a million homes for a year that we've offset through our, our offsetting program. And you, know, you can combine those in any different number of ways because no, no, com- no business is solving for the exact same set of things or each, each is kind of unique, but we're building out a, a product set that's, you know, should be best in class uh, on any one of those kind of big four pillars of, of concern. To Keegan's point, maybe exactly people might I'll add two more points. The fact that the United States is behind Europe is actually, a, there is something good about this as well. <laughs> Weirdly enough. Uh, why? Because here in the United States, we bypass some of those pretty clunky at-home charging solutions that are prevalent in Europe. And we leverage the connected vehicle data where we basically get connected to the OEM class, the four, the Volkswagen, the whatever, you name it. We connect it to those clouds and we get from those clouds the data from the vehicle real time about how much electricity being charged, what was the status of the battery, on the speed of charge, everything else. And that creates a very sleek and uh, low friction solution rather than trying to set up a meter or a charging station in each and every employee home. And if your employees churn, i.e. they come and go and you have to <laughs> install the equipment and take it back, it's, it's quite a cumbersome solution. So first, kind of because US is a bit behind Europe, we went ahead and we did a way better solution uh, using connected vehicle data because now it's available. It's not, it wasn't available in Europe when they started uh, the at-home charging solutions. And second, uh, Pay Keegan's point, uh, the problem, which is especially in UK, less so in the rest of the Europe. In UK, our colleagues there have like half a dozen of various apps <laughs> that they use to charge their vehicle. And as you can imagine, for the business, they'll have you know, hundreds of employees. Each and every one of them will have half a dozen of apps. Imagine what a, a nightmare it is to actually account for and you know, control the expenses for electrical charging. It's, it's very cumbersome uh, and obviously for employees it's not great experience either so here in us we said all right we don't want that we don't want to have the same problem for our customers and we said we'll give our employee the employees of our customers a mastercard that will be locked only to electrical vehicle charging use cases and they can load that car into their Tesla account or to their EVgo account, and they're good to go. And so all the data will automatically flow into the customer reporting system. We'll provide connected vehicle data with how much 
electricity was charged, where exactly that take, took place, what was the status of the battery. And all uh, works in this way more seamless way. So I'm saying, again, the, the fact that US is a bit uh, behind Europe, uh, th there is some good thing in that as well, as it allows us to bypass some of those legacy solutions. Yeah, so you sort of see that with tech a lot where the, the first country or place to implement something ends up with a with an older system that's more challenging. I mean, just as, as an example, if you go to California, the Wi-Fi there sucks. <laughs> it's like, and it shocks people because you're like, this is California, you know, this is LA, San Francisco, you know, but Wi-Fi is really bad because they just have really poor infrastructure that they just accept and live with instead of, you know, leapfrogging into newer stuff quicker, like other places that adopted later. But anyway, this is, this is just me complaining about sometimes in California. No, I'm, but uh, is there anything before we move on? Is there anything else, especially unique about the U.S. market that is worth highlighting? Well, U.S. market is very uh, road centric versus railway centric in Europe. If you look at these stats for amount of cargo that being shipped here in the US by railways versus Europe, it's really tiny. The same for passengers. The public transport here in the US is really undeveloped. I, I used to live in London for four years and I keep on telling my colleagues, I didn't have a car. We, my family didn't have a car. We didn't have to. Here in the US, when we lived here in Atlanta, both me and you're my in, wife- You're in Atlanta. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, we have to have a car. There is no way you can get around anywhere unless you have a car. So that's so that means that public transport is obviously completely different. And as you know, the uh, two-wheelers, the uh, bicycles in Europe, it's all over the place versus here in the United States, especially in places like Atlanta, where we're based, it's still, still a novelty. So that's a big difference. And I, I think for your audience is obviously a point to consider that the railways, especially elect electrified railways, public transport and uh, bicycles are also part of the uh, you know, go green solution, carbon neutral solution that I'm sure the United States will be adopting more and more of. And given that the Biden administration stimulus package, new stimulus package, they have allocated quite a bit of uh, money for the uh, railways. I definitely look forward to seeing more of those solutions in the market. And so then your, your product would integrate the different modes uh, as well, or? Yes. So, so the, obviously the solution is not necessarily uh, for, for the fleet. The solution is for the company to allow their employees to get from point A to point B. And it doesn't matter whether it's be, being done by a vehicle, company-owned vehicle, or by a public transport or railways. And so uh, maybe Keegan can jump, but operationally, you sort of help by sort of saying, you know, you get employee gets this card, use it for any company business, any travel, any, any other purchases that are relevant for this card. And then we, you know, we have our back office sorted all out and, and, uh, and sort of sort things into the right boxes, accounting wise and all that. Is that, is that how I'm, is that correct? How I'm yeah. I mean, that that's effectively right. Zach, right. So, you know, at, at its most basic, it can be used just for regular fuel, 87 octane, Right. At, at its very base. 
Now you can expand it out and pick and choose which categories you want the, the products to be, the, the payment to be available at, right? So we, we have probably, you know, I'd say five to 10% of our spend is generally in, in non-fuel. Uh, it ranges across a wide category, including supplies, travel. We have a lodging division here at Fleet Corps uh, that we work with to, to help minimize the, the cost of, of employee travel. And then we report back out the different categories of spend, uh, when, where, and we can oftentimes be able to tell you where you could have been more efficient in that spend. So it's a, you know, it, it's a system that works well now that, you know, we feel like we can kind of lift that aspect of the business that's traditionally been around kind of fuel and transportation expense uh, in, a, in a fossil fuel context and, and shift it over. And it's not just a pure shift either, right? The one thing we haven't really talked about is it's gradual, right? So there's, you know, fleets are not going to snap their fingers one day and go from having uh, 100 ICE vehicles to 100 EV, right? It's going to be a gradual shift and that, that's going to increase the complexity cost for a lot of these companies in understanding how to operate these, their, their fleets efficiently. Uh, and, so instead you know, of giving your employees, you know, five five different EV charging cards and uh, and a gas card and and this and that, you're just you're giving them one card and they're you know use it wherever you need to use it. We'll we'll take care of the rest, and that's uh, that's sort of the, the the big selling point, I guess. And so I guess something I don't know. I guess I'm curious then in the U.S. What kind of fleets are you are you looking at? Are you I mean do you cover any kind of company fleet from a five car company to a 10,000 car company? Are there specific industries that you focus on? Is it anything from cars to heavy duty trucks? Yeah, it's a great question. So you know, we do run the spectrum from a one vehicle fleet, you know, maybe your local landscaper to you know, the largest parcel delivery companies in the world right, where you know, we UPS is one of our big customers you know, Coke and Pepsi uh, that have these just massive fleets out on the road. And you know, where it's interesting that you asked, right? And Alexa hit on this a little bit earlier uh, where, you know, we're seeing adoption in pockets on the smaller end of the spectrum, but a lot of our larger enterprise kind of size customers are leading the way as, you know, they, they have a lot more to, to gain from some of the cost savings that they foresee coming in the future by switching to, to EVs. So we're working hand in hand with, you know, uh, several of our kind of bigger enterprise customers as they onboard more and more EVs and also municipalities that are starting to shift like their, their school buses and city buses over to electric. And, you know, they're some of our kind of our, our best and, and fastest growing pilot customers. So you're also dealing in the bus bus world. That's that's cool. Yeah. So I mean, a, a big you know discussion around EVs is I, I think you know we've always tried to make it a big discussion is total cost of ownership. There's you know this huge operational savings from lower maintenance costs, lower fuel costs. It's still it's still difficult to get people to think about long term total cost of ownership with anything, but it's it's be, I think it's it's become a pretty you know, pretty clear part of the EV conversation. With your data, you must have, you must have like some of the best data in the world on 
on how how to how to tell that story do you have that conversation much with clients who are looking at evs how do you approach that kind of that topic yeah so it's interesting right when it depends which customers we're talking to i think our more our more sophisticated larger customers are thinking about total cost of ownership quite a bit and they're thinking about it in a, you know in a pretty nuanced way right and i you know, I've actually seen some of the charts that, that you have on, on clean technical around total cost of ownership. And, you know, they're, they're thinking about, okay, so, you know, these are the costs that go away, but there's a, a much higher capital outlay, you know, maybe some of the maintenance expense in different categories goes up because of the weight of the vehicle and we go through tires faster and like they're getting really granular in yeah, building yeah, total cost of ownership models. I feel like ours is very detailed, but then when you think about it, it could be, you know, a hundred times more detailed. You know, you could be right, like, yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, we're, we're looking at this with our customers in a very similar way. And one of the things that they're starting to realize is the battery itself is just such an expensive component of the total package and how you and manage your charging can have a pretty meaningful impact on the lifetime of that, of that battery. So one of the things where we haven't in the past had to, you know, think through with our customers was how our solution really uh, elongates the life cycle of their equipment. That is becoming a much more meaningful conversation with our customers because they, they need them to last a lot longer so they can get the most out of that asset. Yeah, it's a funny thing. You have you have two different situations. You have to you have to sort of tell people, don't worry about charging. You know, just charge however you want, as much as you need. Ninety percent. You know, Elon has said ninety percent is fine. Elon Musk, that's uh, someone in the EV world. Uh, but you know, I'm sort of obsessive about like try to keep between thirty and seventy because I'm like, you know, this is this is ideal for batteries in general. Keep them around fifty. But then I've got all these free supercharger miles from my, you know, referring so many people. And I'm like, well, it's, it's too hard to not supercharge when it's free. And so then I'm supercharging it, but I'm thinking, I'm worrying all the time about what it's doing to my battery. And I'm like, it's a, it's a complicated calculus in short. Well, just imagine and, you don't own the vehicle, your company. Does, yeah. And right? imagine so I've got hundred. Go ahead. Yeah, no, keep going. Sorry. I was that just incentivizes or, or takes away the disincentive, I guess, yeah. for some of the behavior that you're, you're talking about, right? So having a solution that allows you to, to put limits and say, hey, we're on, we'll only allow our, uh, our, our employees to use superchargers mm-hmm. up to 70%. That's a good one, yeah. Right? And like, Alexa- you know, those are the type of controls that we're, our customers are just now kind of that are starting to dip their toe in the water here or just starting to realize the value of. And, you know, I think one of the things that we can take away and we've learned from being in the game in Europe for so long now is we're building out solutions that anticipate these challenges. Uh, A lot of times before, you know, the the folks who are are in charge of kind of purchasing and, and building and managing these EV fleets, you know, they don't have a deep expertise and background in in what's different so they're learning and and it's great to be in a position to help them speed up the learning curve yeah and alexei maybe talk a little bit more about uh, either differences and lessons from the european situation with all the kind of 
total cost of ownership calculus, which I'm sure you, I, I know just from talking with, with you a little bit, you said you've been a long time reader of clean technica. I know you must, uh, you must love getting into those, those sheets, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's a very good conversation. And, uh, Believe me, when we talk to fleet, especially large fleets, uh, and you name it, it's whether UPS or Amazon or anyone, uh, EV is number one or two or three priority for them. And they're saying, uh, for me, they're saying for them, the EV or going carbon neutral is right now number one priority by far. So that's that's what we hear from fleet managers across the board, whether it's Europe or the United States. And right now, the, the reality is such that total cost of ownership for large accounts does come into play, but not as, as a primary driving factor of EV adoption. Yes, obviously, fleet managers, they, they, their KPIs are centered around the cost and making sure the vehicles are operational and they, they can fulfill the company objectives. But the reality is the, the carbon uh, neutral uh, objectives are standing way ahead of the um, TCO calculation for large companies. First and second consideration is actually just making sure the company can run. <laughs> If you talk to Amazon or UPS or Volkswagen, which they have their own fleet, they say their number one priority is just to make sure the company continues to operate. Yes, they're willing to probably spend a little bit more, whether upfront or in TCOs, for the uh, for the benefit of having a carbon neutral fleet. Uh, but but they definitely cannot have a fleet that's not operational. That's something that's that's known. So TCO consideration does have a place in the discussions, but by far it's not the number one consideration for those companies. That's and where it does come to play when they consider different options. Hey, should I adopt one type of a vehicle? Should I go into battery vehicle? Should I go to natural gas vehicle, should I go to hydrogen? So that's where it comes to play with uh, companies trying to consider various options. And as you know, with LCVs, the, the battery technology is pretty competitive, but once you go up there to heavy duty vehicles, right now the natural gas is by far the solution of choice for all of those large accounts mostly because of TCO and making sure uh, the fleet is operational. And maybe it's an interim solution, right? Maybe it's a solution uh, till battery technology will catch up in terms of power density. Maybe it will be some, something more of a long-term solution because we saw some of the school bus systems, especially in California that you mentioned, they, they actually moved into biogas, right? So they... they buying the completely carbon neutral gas and they they have a gas equipped buses cool buses and that's a that's a way for them to go to carbon neutral so that's where the tco calculation comes into play how to get to that carbon neutrality in the most economical way well it's an interesting thing you highlight there you know anyone who's run a business or even just a household you realize taking on any new project any new technology is like a whole you know, it presents, you know, it's a whole different challenge. You, you have to wonder if it's going to work, if it's going to work with what you do. And 
I guess that also comes back to your fuel card, which, you know, I'm sure they're thinking, oh, we have to think about chargers, charging, all this stuff. And if someone just comes to them and says, hey, here's a, you can use our fuel card and don't have to worry about the charging issue. I mean, obviously they still have to think about on-site charging and that kind of thing, but it does help to simplify it. And I, you know, one of the things I've, I've presented all over the world, at, you know, conferences and, and such, and I've always highlighted the convenient factor of EVs, how they increase convenience and that convenience and fun would be two of the biggest drivers of adoption. But that's like on an individual level, if you can charge at home, if you're a business and you have to think about 100, 500 employees sharing 100 EVs and however many EV charging stations, things start to get complicated fast. So it's, it seems like, you know, that kind of convenience solution is so critical to faster adoption. Just to close, and, and I guess before closing, just remind anyone who's listening, if you're enjoying Clean Tech Talk, you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you especially support our work, like to support our work, you know, you can subscribe at future.cleantechnica.com slash subscribe and provide a few bucks a month to help us support our, our work. But a kind of closing comment, I guess, uh, a question, you know, there's a lot of a lot of electric vehicle models have been arriving in the past couple of years, more coming in the next couple of years. Are you seeing, you know, with your extensive uh, experience, are you seeing a lot of interest in any particular models? Are there maybe three, three to five electric vehicle models that ha- that you that you consistently hear people bring up? Yeah, in, in my world, it's the F one fifty Lightning. So about twenty percent of our our small medium sized business are uh, construct is in construction contractors. They're by and large, you know, driving uh, pickup trucks. And for, for that base, there's a lot of chatter around the, the Ford model that's coming out on the, yeah, I, that's the biggest one on, on the SMB. And I'm excited to kind of see how it performs and if it starts accelerating the pace of change in the small and medium-sized business world. And we just, as we're recording this, it was just yesterday that CEO Jim Farley tweeted that, that they were increasing their production target from 80,000 to 150,000 a year for that model. Before it was even 40,000, they had doubled it. Now they've increased it to 150,000. And, uh, and I got clarification from them that, that's for, that they're hoping to hit that run rate in the middle of 2023 production run rate. So it's definitely clearly a sign of you know, increased, uh, a lot of interest in that truck. Uh, Alexei, any other models? Yeah, the um, I would completely agree with Keegan. The F series is really a watershed moment for the United States uh, EV fleet adoption, and uh, a lot of companies are actually planning their EV replacement cycles based on the timing of the F one fifty Lightning uh, release. So uh, we're super excited about that, and we're hoping that Ford can expedite that program. And we're actually looking forward for more, just more variety because the equipment shortage, the electrical vehicle shortage, is number one handicap for for adoption of the vehicles. The more there are, the the better they are. <laughs> the, the more use cases they cover, the the better it will be for everyone here. So well, we, we were lucky to talk to Ford's BEV manager, head of their BEV team about the Lightning right before it was launched, which was really, really exciting. That was one of the most exciting moments of last year, I would say. 
So hopefully we'll have to get him back on the podcast again to talk about the fleet, the fleet interests in it, since you guys are already highlighting that. So any other final words about any of these topics? Do we miss anything? I, I don't think so. I just, I really appreciate your time and the chance to kind of talk about what we're doing and you know, hopefully, you know, we, we were able to share some kind of interesting information around kind of what we've seen in Europe and how we think it's going to translate. But it's, it's really been a pleasure to, to get a chance to spend some time with you today. So thank you. Yeah, I think, thank you so much, Zach. We'll have to needle you for some, uh, f- some stats, some exclusive charts and stats, maybe because, you, you, you know, we're, that's, you know, information is, is, is what it's all about right now. And you must have just a a gold mine of information you're sitting on. So have to tap you for some of that. Thank you for, for uh, giving us insights into this and good luck getting more f- fuel cards for EV drivers in the hands of Winona Ryder and, and her, her like. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Have a good day. Take care. Thank you so much, Zach. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,